Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 142. This cast, as always, is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% bios bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined, of course, this week with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of TalesOfAdventure.com and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. And this week, we also have a special guest if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Chris O'Berry. Uh, I'm currently a writer for Quiet Speculation and formerly of ABU Games. Uh, I guess I got invited onto the cast today to talk about some stuff, and I'm excited to be here. Yep. So let's uh, go over the weekend. This weekend was GP Madison, and I think Ed was there. Ed, uh, how was the GP? Uh, I was sick all weekend, so I don't really remember. Most days were a Sudafed-induced haze, so in an attempt to clear up my nasal congestion. Okay, so, so I was actually there, and definitely annoying Ed. Um, there were some trends to take away that I know Ed is downplaying just a little bit. The Japanese Planeswalkers um, at multiple booths were moving extremely well, um, which I guess I find that weird that I didn't say anything about that. Um, Mythic Edition Biolist was at $700 for the new Mythic Edition. And we also had um, Black Lotus Biolist at $8,500. However, Card Kingdom is currently paying $10,000 for a Lotus. So it wasn't necessarily the highest on site um all the reserveless stuff in the room was priced at about 10 percent above tcg which is normal and it seems like a really slow show so i wasn't sure if ed wanted to add anything about that now that i can help him remember a little bit since he was drugged out of his mind uh so three parts to that so the first part the japanese planeswalkers um i had them at the booth obviously uh there were a few other vendors that had a smattering amount, clearly from the small allocation of Japanese War of the Spark boxes that they got. Probably people open, buying them, uh, buying boxes or packs, opening up these planeswalkers and selling them back. Um, I had a full stock at the booth. They did extremely well. There are no charge of people that are trying to buy complete sets from me. Um, I spent most of my Thursday shipping out sets to people. Um, uh in the non-foils did very very well i like a lot of people kind of balked at the price on the foils and pre-release foils a lot of people weren't realizing how insane the multiplier is because of how rare they are um foils are exceedingly hard to find especially as the rarity on them creeps up um and it seems like pre-release foils uh may hold their term uh long-term value quite well because of how rare they are um every single every single pack got a an, an alternate planeswalker pre-release stamped but um the supply on them is drying up pretty fast a lot of people who opened up them up on the weekend want to sell them right away and then for the most part um their uh stores have more or less been unable to pick up more most people are probably just holding them at this point um that being said there were still plenty of people that bought a lot of um that bought a lot of foils one gentleman bought a complete set he was trying to get to a full foil set i think we sold him 32 of the 36 uh someone bought the pack foil liliana for we had tagged at 995 dollars that actually sold on friday uh so there's a man for the um having seen them in person they look very very cool um so it's understandable that there will be quite a bit of demand for this in the future uh the second part uh it was a fairly sm uh, slow show um which was a little bit surprising the main event only had about 950 players which is quite surprising for me in the midwest because usually the midwest generally has uh well-attended shows mainly because there aren't a lot of them if we look at the calendar the, the previous midwest gp before this was cleveland that was back in february and then before that i want to say there was it was probably not even until minneapolis last august there might be one in between um 
I think there was Milwaukee back in November. Um, but otherwise, there hasn't been a lot of shows in the Midwest. So it was a little surprising to see how weak the attendance was. I think part of it was it was a fairly expensive weekend to fly to Madison. Uh, my flight was over $600, which was not ideal. Um, and it was also graduation weekend for um, University of Wisconsin. And uh, for anyone in the Madison area, the campus is probably like a 10 mile stretch um, along kind of in the entire downtown area, which it, so it was a pretty big deal. The hotel I was at, there were just a ton of grads on Saturday night celebrating. Um, so I think all those just made Madison probably not the most appealing show for people to come to, which probably, um, which probably made the attendance suffer. And uh, I think the last thing that Jeremy brought up was uh, buy lists. Um, from what I understand and from what people have told me, uh, despite Card Kingdom's very flashy numbers on near mint power, it is actually very, 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 very hard to get that. Um, I had someone that uh, that tried that was trying to sell a, a BGS nine unlimited Lotus. They took a picture. They sent it to Card Kingdom. Card Kingdom told them that um, they don't buy graded cards. So if you wanted to sell it, you would actually have to crack it on your own and then send it into them. So he did that, and then he sent it in, and then they gave him um, the not near mint number, which is debatable. Nine is nine is not without flaws. Nine may not meet Card Kingdom's near mint standards. Um, he ended up taking it back and sending it back in to get graded again. Um, but 10,000 is pretty much unattainable unless you have something like, a, probably like you probably need a 9.5 in order to get that 10,000 number, at which point you're better off selling it yourself because you're just going to get way more than 10,000. Um, uh, we were the ones that posted 8,500. Obviously, that number is there for show. Um, it's going to like that we're probably not as strict as uh, Card Kingdom in terms of grading. It's possible that someone could bring in a near mint Lotus. Or probably like an SP plus, and that would probably get pretty close, probably like 8,300, 8,000. Um, but that's just a uh, that's just a way for uh, vendors to let people know that hey, we have the money, we can we can uh, afford uh, to spend it on large collections or big pieces of power. Um, so that's more or less why I was there. And I think Justin actually raised his price at ninety five to uh, nine thousand. I think on, he did. On and there Black were people shopping around pieces of power too. Yep. The entire weekend. Yep. So. Yes. I think those were all three of the points that you hit on, and that was kind of more or less my analysis for the show for yes. the weekend. Now, moving on a bit to uh, the Japanese Planeswalkers as a whole, is it true that there's basically no boxes left in Japan, Ed, for locals? Uh, yes. In short, yes. Um, most people caught on pretty quick. Um, the more adventurous people were trying to sell them overseas only to realize that there's actually quite a bit of a hurdle to do so. Um, shipping boxes from Japan to US isn't necessarily cheap, especially if you, if you have to factor in customs. It's also a very slow process unless you're sending EMS, which does cost a premium. Um, on, on top of that, obviously a lot of people realize that uh, the planeswalkers are very sweet um, a lot of people have tied their favorite artists to one of them, so people are trying to collect very specific ones. Uh, there's a lot of demand for it. A lot, uh, my friend said that a lot of people were just opening up boxes, quite literally trying to get one foil. Um, if they didn't open the foil, they basically would just cash it in. And based on how much demand there were for the Planeswalkers, um, you basically can just open up boxes if you kind of if you run a little bit hot, if you open up a decent foil planeswalker or something, and you you can basically just sell the contents back to the store um, and just keep opening boxes this way. Um, as a result, most sealed product is pretty much gone in Japan. There is a uh, there is a reprint that's slated later this month. Not sure how big the supply is, especially because from what I'm told, some of that supply might be headed overseas because of how throttled the supply is overseas as well. Um, stores have basically started to offer a buy list in boxes at about $135 um, just to buy back the boxes from players uh, because most places don't have, don't have any in stock. That's more or less how rare they are. Um, 
So it's it's uncertain what the supply will look like going in the future. Going forward in the future, it realistically could be the end of June or something before we see uh, supply more or less catch up to demand. Even on English boxes, a lot of places have just said that they're, they sold their boxes way too quick and they just haven't been able to restock uh, fast enough to keep up with demand for for their players in store, for drafts, etc. How does this change how you guys look at War of the Spark as investments for singles for both Chris and Jim, who may have a uh, vested interest in getting some copies of these cards? Uh, for me personally, I'm a much more casual player. I don't really need anything for standard to play with right away. So I am very much interested in continuing to wait. I think that th- this is a you know print-to-demand set. Uh, we'll get probably more of it very soon and even more of it as Modern Horizons spoilers start. And I don't think that people will necessarily have had enough of it by then. Um, so anything that I don't need to get right away that's not exceedingly rare, for example, I'm like very okay with just continuing to wait. Um, I bought a set of the Japanese Planeswalkers because I really wanted to own them and I really didn't want to have them be much rarer than I expected because the upside is like, oh, if they're less rare than I thought they were going to be, I could buy more of them later for less money. But if they're more rare than I thought they were, then I don't really want to pay extra for the ones, just like the bare minimum that I want. So um, I'm not really sure if I'm going to buy any more of them. Uh, the Japanese ones specifically, I think that one of each of them is fine for me. And like maybe I'll get some foil ones in the future if I decide that I really like them. But I don't, I don't really see a reason to spend any money on on this if you're not in a rush to get it. Like, a lot of these cards are going to be bulk rares. They're going to be playable, but they're going to be bulk rares, and all it, all it takes is a little bit of patience. Uh, eventually, everything will go down a bit. All right, and uh, to kind of echo Jim's point there. Uh, I really feel that uh, you should be a little more patient on these. Uh, I know he said that he went in and got the ones he wanted. Uh, I'm trying to be a little more patient than that myself. Uh, like I'm looking at a lot of interesting cards like Narset Parter of Veils right now, as we were talking about before the cast. Uh, but that's one I'm really, really keeping my eye on because it's such a big force in uh, Eternal Formats right now. Uh, locking out Brainstorm and Ponder, for instance, is a pretty huge deal. Um and then the other one I'm looking at is Teferi, Time Raveler. Uh, that's going to be a big one. But I, I'm being patient on these uh, just because I think that there's going to just be more print-to-demandness, if if, the, if you can call that a word, uh, than, than people think. And there is a chokehold on this Japanese supply, sure, but I think we're going to see more and more of it enter the market as time goes on. Uh, but it really depends on how much Wizards is willing to release into the environment. Anything anyone else wants to add about that? Uh, I can definitely understand people wanting to wait. Um, again, I don't really know what the timeline is. There obviously is a lot of demand. I, I definitely understand people wanting to wait. Um, that being said, for the people who are looking to buy sealed product in an attempt to open them, um, I would definitely advise against it. Um, the again, you're looking. I mentioned it on the previous podcast when we first started talking about it. Um, basically, all the planeswalkers are twice as rare as they normally are because you're only getting 18 to a box. Um, and it is very, very possible that um, you can open up a full box and just not open up a mythic or rare ultra art planeswalker, um, which is really unfortunate, but um, that's kind of the way the coalition works. Um, that's what run works. Um, it does make it quite difficult to get them. Uh, from what I understand, it takes roughly eight boxes to open up a complete set. Um, so there's uh, was it? There's four mythics: uh, the Liliana, Gideon, Nicobolus. Three. There's three mythics. So by that math, um, if the limiting factor is a mythic, you're basically looking at opening up like a Liliana or a Gideon or Nicobolus specifically in one in every two boxes or something. So they are they are definitely much more rare than people think. Um, if your plan is to 
try and get very specific ones, I would just say bite the bullet and buy the ones that you want. Um, don't look at TCG. The price is quite inflated. Uh, you can always go to Haruya. Uh, for people who do attend future uh, events at Providence, Kansas City, etc., um, I will have them in stock at the Tales of Adventure booth. Um, and I do imagine that uh, once you know more of these are entering the market, more vendors will have them in stock as well. Um, but if you do, again, if you just do want specific ones, shop around, look at Haruya. That's probably the baseline for prices. Um, don't look at TCG. TCG has very, very ridiculous numbers on, on these cards, mainly because they're most players are largely constrained by supply. Makes sense. Moving on. Um, if we want to talk a little more about Biolisted, we had Scolding Turn Biolist, for example, at what, $75 this weekend? Um, we are starting to see, and I noticed this while I was on site, uh, more and more people trading in stuff like Tarns and Misties, which is like 70 on its own, for dual lands. So do you guys think we can predict at this point if and when, barring the same sort of repeated cycle as last year, dual lands and power will go up this year? Um, because we do also have to keep in mind that the Dow went down a ton today and may continue to do that, which uh, may affect magic growth this year. Are you wanting me to lead off with this? Sure. Um, I think we are looking at it. Uh, the timeline is probably pushed back a little bit last year. Um, if we kind of rewind back to where we were one year ago, Tabernacle was the first one that spiked. That was the one right after GP Seattle beginning of April. Uh, by this time last year, I think I was at Dallas. I think I saw Jeremy at Dallas. And um, I was basically starting to cash in all my masterpieces and trading them into power. Um, and that was a little bit before the spike. Um I think the market is a little bit slower to react this year. We don't really have that kind of surge coming in from crypto, but I do think that a lot of the cards that have started to spike uh, in large, I think that's kind of how this begins. And it kind of creates a, a bit of a cascade effect. As soon as the first domino tumbles, it just creates basically every single domino that line is going to fall. So once that first reserve list card spikes, um, probably the rest of them are going to go. So whether that be a dual land or something, I think I, I predict the most likely outcome would be something in modern horizon causes, um, it has some sort of synergy with, uh, an old school card or some obscure rare. And then that will cause them this, that will cause that, that will kind of, uh, that will kind of, caused that whole chain reaction to begin. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I know that uh, they had said that Modern Horizon spoilers were starting next week. And then from there, we're only like a month out until Modern Horizon comes out. So um, I do think it'll come. It'll probably be a little bit later. Uh, June is probably where it is when we'll start to see it really pick up. But um, it it's kind of it is kind of odd because generally summer is the slow, are the slower months for magic as people get done with school people go on vacation people do non magic things, um, so there's definitely two sides of the coin. I'm not really sure which side I'm on, but I do think that uh, we'll kind of see another boom cycle like we did last year. Chris, uh, yeah, I think I I think I'd reflect that as well. Uh, Modern Horizons is good as gonna it's just gonna put a big pressure on all the old school cards that are playable uh myself i'm looking at dual lands right now revised duel specifically uh in a recent article i wrote i talked about a tundra being a, a big player uh and kind of to reflect what ed was just saying it's going to take like one card to start the domino effect and i think that's going to be one of the ones i'm looking at but it could be any card off the reserve list that just starts the spike like i think tabernacle is a good example of that uh, such an insane price right now for that card. It's interesting because Tabernacle fell a bunch lately. Like you're seeing copies for twelve to fourteen hundred, 
and Bylas have definitely cooled off lately. But I do agree with you. Um, Lionside Diamond, like Bylas are eighty to ninety dollars on most major retail sites right now, and they're what like one fifty for play, two hundred on TCG. Um, even Cradle and Mox Diamond. It appears that there's a ton of copies out there on the market right now. Does anyone even remember what Cradle's pre-spike price was? Wasn't it like 150, 200? The last guy's Cradle I purchased was like $115. And okay. since then it's been skyrocketing. So yeah. like and that's not even that long ago, maybe like three years ago, tops. I, I'm talking last year though. I, I think it was like two hundred for a near mint copy. And near mint copies were selling for around 400 last year. And it's starting to rise a bit, but there's definitely a lot of copies of that Amox Diamond out there right now. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, Volcanic Bylist is starting to rise, which is good. Um, I think that's healthy, but we'll see what happens. Just, uh, I don't know really what to do with fetches at this point. Because you can make a heck of a lot of money selling them, or you can basically trade the like trade two Misty's in for a played Badlands, or you can just sell them and take the cash and buy the Badlands. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that dual or uh, fetches are reprinted again in like a year. Like, obviously, they're not in Modern Horizons, and that's what people are going to be. That, that's what people are buying or selling towards is like, you know, they know it's they're definitely not in Modern Horizons, but I don't think that we're going to go that much longer without another Refreshland reprint. They're just such an easy way for them to juice a set. Chris? Well, yeah, and to add to that, that is a big thing. I know that Morrow has stated on Blogatog that they're really apprehensive about including those in Standard because it's what it could do to the environment and inflating prices and so on and so forth. And the gameplay gets bad. Um, but I think because we're moving into this modern horizons boom period, uh, you're going to be wanting to pick these up and then probably hold them. I myself am doing that right now. Uh, I'm targeting like foils, con foil cons fetches specifically right now, uh, trying to get some more of those. Uh, even non foils are a great pickup, obviously, because it's, it's all going to be moving upward. Anything you want to add, Jim? I kind of feel like that might not be 100% the case. Like, all of the stuff that's happening in Modern Horizons, unless it adds new deck types to the format, which is not impossible, but is definitely more unlikely than just improving existing decks. I'm not sure that, like, the existing cards are going to get more expensive because people are going to need to buy new cards for their deck. Like... I don't think the cards for humans are going to get more expensive because they print Mother of Runes, for example. I think that the Mother of Runes would get more expensive first, and then maybe the other cards will follow if the deck puts up a lot of results. Like, I'm not... I think that overall deck prices will increase, but I'm not sure that, like, it'll necessarily go into staples that most people will already have owned. Ed? Uh... It's definitely interesting. I think both. I think they both have very valid arguments. I'm not really sure where I stand on this. Um, I, I like it. Really comes down to what gets spoiled, what comes out of this. Uh, I previously mentioned that my biggest hope, and I think the way that would be most advantageous for Wizards to market this set would be to find ways to completely change the face of modern. Um, we've kind of fallen into the same cycle of decks for quite some time now and modern feels like it's, it's again, it's getting a bit stale and repetitive. Um, I think that cards that you're that, like Chris mentioned, like foil, foil con fetches, um, they're basically, if it definitely feels like they're underpriced, I think he's definitely looking at, and the right way. Um, I think that there's definitely room for other cards. Um, which I, which um, I'm actually like kind of scrolling through to find a good pick of the week um, that you would probably want to be buying now because once the spoilers start rolling, I think it's going to just kind of cause 
spike this, spike that. It's just as people kind of discover all the synergies um, in the way that uh, Karn has basically irreversibly caused Mycosin Flatus to go from from fringe EDH playable to probably what is going to be a core a core uh, vintage deck as like a, a good solid way to establish a very, very easy one card prison lock uh, against someone. So I would, I, I don't know what it looks like. I'm again, I'm just kind of, I'm just actually looking for a good pick of the week, um, which will certainly be related to Modern Horizons. Cause I think a good short term play right now is to look at ways, like Chris said, like Jim said, to kind of get in um, ahead of the curve. And you know what would help you um, speculate for Modern Horizons, Ed? That would be a $25 Cool Stuff Inc. gift card. So, Jim, who wants Jeremy, this? what is wrong with you today? You're like whispering and you're, you're, you Very have, tired. I don't think you've made a pun and you're, you're like, segues are extra bad. Like, are you feeling okay? I know Ed no. and I are not feeling so good. The blues, you also the blues lost. Everything is despair. So. This is not the first game that they've lost. It's not the last game that they'll lose either. They still have three oh, more to go. That's harsh. <laughs> on, the topic right, of sports, on the topic of sports, Portland made it to the Western Conference Finals. No one cares about basketball. Let's move on. They're going to lose to the Warriors anyway. It doesn't matter, man. Oh, my God. Jim, uh, credit winner. All right. So our winner this week is Clayton Har- Harbison. Harbison? I don't know. Sorry, man. Uh he says, with the uncut sheets coming to those who ordered, whose orders were canceled, uh, I assume he's talking about Mythic Edition uh, for War of the Spark. Do you think people will try to cut them and affect War's foil market? Or do you think most people will keep them for their own sake, future sale, etc.? Um, I think that there's definitely a non-zero amount of people that will try to cut them, and they'll do a very bad job of it, and they'll make some really bad non-factory cut misprints and uh i hope they stream it because it'll be hilarious to watch but i don't like the more i think about it the less i think that wars uh foil prices are necessarily going to go down very much um it's hard from what i've heard to make good uh to cut the sheets well such that they're indistinguishable from normal foils um, if you wanted square corner foils, like it's probably not that hard to do that, but it's not necessarily a good use of your time to cut the sheet out yourself. Uh, I think that there's definitely a bunch of people that will just buy a frame and put it on the wall. And I think there's a bunch of people that are going to make a mess out of their sheets. So honestly, I don't think it'll have as big of an impact as I was initially thinking. I think that maybe there'll be a couple of dollars less because people will assume that there's more of them, but there actually isn't. Like perception is a lot. If people perceive there to be more War of the Spark foils due to these cut sheets, then you know there's obviously the the uh, you know people won't have as much willingness to pay more money for them. But there's also the fact that like if there's actually not that much supply injected into the market, then it probably won't make that big of a deal one way or another. These are going to be the cheapest uh, sheets ever in my opinion like even the oh for sure even the nickel bolas uh poster that has magic cards on the back like there's probably more of these or less of those than how many of these we're getting and i see this as like a really good gift for someone who's interested in magic this is one of those things where um it's going to be like $80, like 50 to 80 bucks probably is what you can probably find them for. And most people's quote unquote profits are going to be eaten up by shipping on this anyway. Um, I don't like spending like a grand and like buying a bunch and throwing them in the basement because I don't think these are going to be as easy to move as people think. I think like there's going to be one wave of people that want these sort of like with the uh, pro tour play mats like the first day they come out everybody wants them and then they just sort of stagnate for a while and fall in price but if you're like a collector of magic and you've liked the uh avengers storyline for the last two years or what however long it's been like this is a pretty cool collectible to own or buy and um it's definitely going to look cool to display some way 
in your home, though professionally framing it is going to cost like twice what the sheet actually retails for. Uh, but Chris, what do you think about this? Uh, so I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. There's going to be a very low floor on these just because of the supply that they're handing out. Like, yeah, it's, it's very cool collectible. People are going to try to cut them out. It's going to have an effect on that market somewhat. Uh, myself, I'm getting one because my mythic editions got canceled. Uh, because I am very unlucky, but uh, I'm in the camp of framing it and hanging it up to look cool, because I think that uh, it's just, it's going to be a hard thing to move and ship profitably. Like the, like shipping an item like that is pretty expensive, no matter where you're outing it, uh, unless you're doing it locally, in which case kudos to you if you can find a buyer. Uh, but my opinion is to just sit on it and wait years because that's going to be the better turnaround uh, rather than an immediate flip. Ed? Uh, I, I, th I think they both kind of uh, nailed it. Like most people who looked at this, I think I think Jim had mentioned in the chat as well. Um, you don't really have a good play here. Uh, having tried, Trying to get cut in such a way where it looks even remotely good is quite difficult. Uh, you basically need someone that has a press in order to cut them, especially to get the corners the way um, that magic card should look. Uh, it's much it's it's much harder than just like taking blades to the uh, sheet. Um, you can get them laser cut. I've seen people try to laser cut sheets. Um, that leaves it that leaves the borders looking pretty terrible. You can get a very good level of accuracy. But the borders will look brown all the way around. It looks it looks pretty bad. Um, for people who are trying to ship it, like you can roll it, you can roll and ship it. Um, obviously, there's gonna be a lot of people. I imagine if you're if you're trying to buy one, um, I'm trying to trying to buy them probably within the next two weeks, three weeks. Once they start uh, appearing in people's door, um, is probably the time to do so. But I wouldn't go deep i think i think like chris said the most practical thing to do would be to just take it to a framer uh you're going to probably spend the same amount on sh uh shipping as getting someone to properly frame it and make it look nice and if you don't really care it does make for a good conversation piece um a lot of stores do like them i i would suggest offering it to a local game store in the event that you know, some people some of the owner a lot of owners like to you know, frame them, put them up on the wall. And they're it makes for it makes for a cool piece. It's definitely unique. Uh, there are definitely stores that have a lot of sheets. They frame them, they put them up on the wall, and like most art galleries, they just they're they'll always be for sale. If someone really wants it. You know, you can always offer on them. So um, beyond that, I think trying to go out and you know spend taking your time to like ship it or cut them is just it's just not gonna be the play just just do something that's relatively painless whether it be keep it or try and sell it locally or whatever i think those are probably your your best lines for this well uh thank you for the question clayton you can send me an email at cartel aristocrats at gmail.com and you can i will send you your 25 dollar gift certificate to coolstuffing.com during our next podcast if you'd like to win next week uh, and you're a fan of the cast, you can leave a question on the coolstuffing.com page that will go out with our podcast. Usually it goes the day after the podcast is released or is uh, recorded, I should say. And if you get chose, uh, selected, your, your question gets selected, you can win $25 of coolstuffing.com store credit. Now, uh, Jeremy had to, uh, oh, never mind. I was about to say Jeremy had to take a, a step away, but it appears that he has returned because he heard my name or his name. I had to go heard me say kill his a Sharks fan. So I'm back now. Oh, We're okay. Good. Are you sacrificing them to hopefully get swept? I was uh, chasing them around San, San Diego with a gaff since I just went fishing. Oh, okay. So, uh, if you are listening to the, listening to this podcast, uh, I'm gonna mail Jeremy a broom if the Blues get swept. So please send me your best, like the best broom that you can find on Amazon, and I will make sure to send it to him when they lose. Okay, but that doesn't have to do with finance. So how can people leave questions for next week? I already said it. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, moving no, on. We were, I, I did my job, okay? And that's why I'm throwing you under the bus. Ah, well, um, what else do we want to talk about this week? The Thought Vessel's price? And like, do we want to dump Commander stuff now? Or do we want to hold on to it through the summer? I mean, I don't think there's ever like a reason that you should just dump Commander stuff because Commander players are black holes for cards and they'll just continue to buy them no matter what. EDH That's also, what? sorry, go ahead. EDH also isn't seasonal. It's it's literally a year round activity. There's basically no bad time for people to get together and hang out with their friends and play Commander. Whereas you have some very very miserable times to play Standard, i.e., the beginning of September one when the when a year's worth of sets are going to rotate, and no one wants to play Standard. Everyone is just looking at the next thing. Um, EDH like people will. People don't need an excuse to play. People play whenever or wherever. There's always people building new decks. There's always people taking decks apart. So you, you can just sell as you go, but there's no reason to feel the need to dump it because, again, EDH players will always be there and they'll always buy cards. Chris? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say on a Thought Vessel specifically, um, I'm actually, this is one of my specs that I was going to write about this week for uh, quite spec. But uh, this is a card that I'm actually holding one in my hand. This is a card that I think is like kind of dangerous because it's such a unique effect for a mana rock. Um, but if this gets another reprint, it'll kind of tank it into the floor. Uh, but if it doesn't, it'll probably keep going up, right? So I, I don't think it would be correct to dump, but if you can obviously buy low, sell high, and make your profits there, it's, it's never bad. Um, but I think this one is worth holding on to for a little while longer uh, because, yeah, it is EDH is a year-round activity. Uh, I myself, I'm just recently getting into it. Um, and, you know, it's this is one of those unique cards from the supplementary sets that I have a keen interest in right now. Okay. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, Jeremy? Uh, no. Anyone else have topics for this week before we move into pick of the week? Chris, was there anything that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I, I don't think I have anything specific right now. Uh, one of the, the things that we covered today are really my interests right now. Uh, I was surprised to hear the commander thing brought up. Uh, but I think like for for things going forward, I'm I'm all in on fetches for Modern Horizon. That's kind of my my thing right now. <laughs> I don't know if we want to discuss that further or, or whatever, but. Well, we did have a, another question that was left this week about what kind of cards are you most looking forward to in Modern Horizons? Like, not like it's, it's hard to predict exactly what will get reprinted, but like, what do you think are reasonable things to get reprinted in Modern Horizons? And like, what would you do about them? I think again, it's I think it's less focusing on the reprints, right? Like I'm I'm not necessarily concerned whether or not you know the list of baleful strength, containment priest, force will, counter spell, you know, yeah, yeah. Whatever gets reprinted gets reprinted. Um, again, it's more looking towards cards that will change modern in such a way with addition of new cards. I think Mark Rosewater had. Um, I think he had blogged uh, that there is a double-digit number of mechanics um, because they were trying to make Modern Horizons a Time Spiral 2 set. Um, so it's basically... One can only assume that with 10-plus mechanics, some amount of those are going to be recycled from previous mechanics, and then it's going to be a puzzle to figure out how those mechanics um, are going to work with old mechanics. Like, we're probably not going to see Storm again. We probably won't see Affinity, but there's no shortage of ones that are reasonable. They could bring back Snow, right? There's If there's any cards that are going to interact with Snow, Snowlands will go up. Scrying Sheets has already gone up. There's all these, there's all these like, little things that I think um, it's, again, it's hard to pinpoint. We're basically trying to, like, we're basically trying to throw a dart at the side of a building here and hope it actually lands in the ex exact spot that, um, that Wizards is picking. Um, but like, if you somehow get lucky, I think like you're you're definitely gonna do very well. I do ex again. I do expect to see a lot of 
penny stock type cards explode in price next week. Yeah, it is good to note it that um, I believe Modern Horizons spoilers start next Monday. If I'm not mistaken, I believe we we are only a week away. So your chances to purchase cards if you're worried about things that could get reprinted or might not get reprinted, um, your your chances of getting those cards are very rapidly decreasing. So uh, if you want to put in orders, you got to do it this week. Um, if you want to support our sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com, I believe, has 10% off the entire website until Wednesday. So you can get stuff that probably close to DCG player prices. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of chatter about um, Snowlands and Modern Horizons or like some type of reprint. If they're not in there, I don't think players will have a meltdown necessarily, but we'll see what uh, happens for sure. I think Chris's right. strategy with, sorry to cut you off there. I think Chris's strategy, just go for the fetches. I think that's like at baseline. I think it's a very, very reasonable strategy. We Fetches will always be a par standard unless we somehow see a card that, you know, shuts off library searching or something. Is that outside the realm possibly? Probably not. Uh, they'll probably, they'll definitely, that would definitely be one way to shake up modern. Um, but fetches will always be good. Um, it, it would surprise me to see Blood Moon creep up in price again as a good way to hose non-basic lands. Blood Moon has always been the best one. Uh, like Blood Sun, Alpine Moon, none of these have really been up to snuff in terms of um, actually like hosing non-basics. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of surprising to see that Blood Moon is as low as it is. Um like I'm, I, I can't even think of what other cards. I imagine Arcbound Ravager will always exist as long as there is some sort of um, artifact that can existence. Mox Opal will probably always be good, even though the, it, um, it could be on the chopping block. So that one's kind of hard to invest into. Um, it's those types of cards that you know, like it. it you don't. It, it doesn't take a genius to realize that. If you play modern, you probably need fetches at some point. Um, and if and if you're ever going to venture into legacy, you probably need fetches. So and fetches without a reprint on the on the immediate horizon, um, they're only going to get more expensive, especially as demand for modern. If this does change with modern and people do get excited to play modern, it's they're definitely going to get more expensive in the immediate future. Yeah, I agree with everything Ed said there. Same. So let's get into pick of the week. Um, Chris, you're the guest this week, so we will have Ed go first as always. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Classic misdirection. Yes. Uh, uh, so the two types... Uh, so I actually have two. They're, they kind of fall in the same vein. Um, Me also. The first one is Time Sieve. The second one is Copy Enchantment. Uh, these, are both, these are both fairly narrow cards, they both have one printing. They do see casual play, so there. So four is relatively high. Time sieve is sitting around eight dollars. Copy artifact or copy enchantment is about ten. Um, these are the types of things where if we do see some sort of enchantment based strategy, I imagine copy artifact will probably be one of, um, probably one of the key pieces in that. Greater Ormancy is kind of the same boat, except that card is a million dollars apparently. Um, but again, time sieve. Like, could we see some sort of artifact base strategy? It's possible. Um, there, it's it, they both feel like fairly low risks. Uh, they're again with a lot of demand for them in commander. People generally know about them, so it's kind of hard to buy them, especially because they're both older cards with only one printing. But this is a type of card um, that I feel like your your ceiling is the most high on. Uh, one, there's a lot of them out there. Two, they, they both do fairly unique things. Three, they um, they already have a floor, so you're not really taking a huge risk. Uh, finding kind of these unique-ish effects is is basically a sure way to, at some point in the distant future, get your, uh, to make money, um, right? Like Microsoft Lattice, you know, very unique card. Days I'm doing that had spiked over the weekend, very unique card. Um, these are basically the types of things that you want to be looking at. And I would kind of venture that, like, I don't necessarily think that 
there will be an artifact or enchantment strategy that would cause these to explode necessarily, but I don't think it's a huge risk to buy, you know, five of these or something and just see what happens. Worst case scenario, you sell the buy list and you loot. Jesus, you lose like ten percent of whatever you on what you paid. It's relatively risk free, or you can just stick them in your commander deck or sell them to some of your friends that play EDH or something. I think those are pretty good cards. They're definitely cards that people like to play in Commander that are not necessarily good, but are fun, and that's the more important thing to a lot of people. Like, last week, my friend was playing Time Sieve with Thopter Assembly, and not once did he get to activate the Time Sieve, but he was so happy to have it. So, I, I think those are pretty good picks. I, I would just be worried that they could be in a Commander deck, and that would kind of crater the price of them. Yep. Chris? Uh, so I guess my pick of the week, uh, going back to what I've been saying multiple times now, uh, I would go with Windswept Heath, uh, Khan specifically. Uh, it's just got a low buy-in. I know it does have that, uh, I believe, not a Challenger deck. Uh, uh, Clash Pack. Clash Pack, thank you very much. Yeah, during the Khan's blog, I had like Siege Rhino and Sandstep Citadel and cards like that in it. Uh, but I, because the uh, the supply of those is so much higher, I think there's... There's a, a very nice buy-in right now on that specifically. Uh, and then to pick something away from the Fetchlands, uh, I like Horizon Canopy right now as a as another card that is kind of an interesting modern spec going forward, uh, especially with uh, creature decks being as powerful as they are, like humans, for instance. Uh, that's one that I'm looking at as a short supply, but also a, a, a nice potential gain on it. I like that idea. Uh, my pick of the week this week is two cards because um, I have one penny stock for all you people that like want to do MTG finance but don't want to like get your significant other mad at you with how many how much dollars with the cards you buy, and then the ones for the like you know one percenters that can afford to buy three dollar copies of a card. So uh, I watched a lot of the MPL this weekend, and the cards that stuck out to me as things that are have will have homes in the future, and probably will have homes in the nearest future, are Oath of Kaya, which is available for about a quarter. Uh, it's a lightning helix on an enchantment, which is important because uh, people are playing a lot of copies of Teferi Time Raveler, and you can you know use Oath of Kaya to kill your opponent's Thief of Sanity and then pick it up later with your, your your Teferi to play it again to kill like another Planeswalker or something like that. Um, it's removal that's not dead against creatureless decks because it can also deal damage to Planeswalkers or to players. And the ability to pick it up with uh, Teferi and the Esper decks is quite good. Um, I feel like at a quarter you have like almost no risk and you can you know, easily get to a 4 or $5 card in the future, and then you could just buy list them to your LGS for, like, 2 bucks and feel like you're an MTG Finance Millionaire. Uh, the other card that I'm looking at, which I actually... I pulled it up on TCG Player, and I accidentally have the foils uh, up, and I was like, oh, this is, like, only $3. This is a pretty good pickup. It's actually half as much money as $1.50, uh, and it is Sarkon the Masterless. That's the... Five mana Sarkon from the most recent set, War of the Spark. They're a dollar fifty, and it's basically like a broodmate dragon. It creates two threats that your opponents have to deal with. Um, it's not that long before the other mid-range five drops leave. Vivian Reed will be rotating out in the fall, and this matches up pretty well against like token decks because you know they can't attack into Sarkon very easily because he does all the you know he does a damage to your opponent's guys whenever they attack for each dragon you control. Um, I've had it people compare it a lot to like Broodmate Dragon because it makes two four fours. They're not always creatures, so they don't get hit by the same sweeper. There's just a lot of upside here. And I think that um, red planeswalkers are generally not as like, people don't find them as sexy when they first come out, but there's definitely the key. Like, they could be big role players. Um, I think that this one is one of the ones that people are probably not as, as keen on. Uh, Jim Davis was playing it and had a lot of success. And I think that going forward, it's, it's one of those Planeswalkers that will be you'll see a lot of in the standard. I'm liking getting Blackblade. Um, there's currently no home for it. 
so it should continue to fall. And I feel like at some point in its standard lifetime, it'll see playing a type of aggro deck. So I'm waiting to target these when they hit their floor. Um, we Obviously, this isn't as strong as Ally of Zendikar, but I think there's actual money to be made on this card. And then the other thing is we're seeing um, like all the uncommon Planeswalkers from War of the Spark, and this is obviously a no-brainer. They're getting pretty close to bulk, which means that at some point TCG sellers will have like a hundred copies of it at like basically free. And at that point, you either pick them at a bulk that you're buying from local players, or you just like order a, a couple hundred of each off TCG player, put them in a shoebox, and forget about them for a couple of years. And I feel like eventually they'll buy less for quarters or dimes, and then you just you know get some free money that way. So no crazy stuff this week, in my opinion. Um, so that's pretty much it. Where can people find you guys as always? Chris? Uh, so you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Crowberry. Uh, I'm sure there will be a link in the description with the spelling of that. Uh, and I'm, I'm also on Instagram as CrowberryMTG. I post a lot of card stuff there and links to articles. And those are the main two places you can find me. uh i'm i'm ed you guys can find me on twitter at edwin13 uh i will be in providence the following weekend and kansas city the weekend after that uh big shout out to the people that stopped by the booth this weekend as usual i always appreciate people coming by selling me you cards are welcome. it was my pleasure uh I, unless you're jeremy i was just kind of annoyed at jeremy over the weekend but uh for the the four hours he was there but uh thanks guys always i always appreciate the feedback and people coming by it's uh it kind of breaks the monotony of a gp my name is jim casal you can find me on twitter at phrost underscore you can find my articles on coolstuffing.com every other week you can find me on this lovely podcast and you can find me in the miserable state of florida I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will be in GPKC on Saturday to annoy Ed and take him out for some good uh, Missouri barbecue. And um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, our sponsors, coolstuffinc.com and all the other places where your podcasts are listened to. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Chris, it was a pleasure having you on. And as always, guys, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye.